You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The international break is over and the focus shifts back to league action. Jose Mourinho returns to his old hunting ground. There are derbies and debuts in the Prem and Bayern look to reassert themselves in the Bundesliga chase. We'll be covering all that and more on today's show. Que golazo begins right now. Good afternoon. Good morning, everyone, wherever you are in the world watching with us. Apologies for the less than professional but a little quieter intro today. Ian Joy cannot be with us. He has better things to do than waste his time with Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio Coker. So I have pulled the shortest of short straws. Gents, how are you doing today, Jonathan? How are you? Nice to see you again. Yeah, doing very well, thanks. Unfortunately, the the slacker Ian can't be here with us, and that's not the first time in the last couple of weeks that I've heard that. So I can only imagine that he's got some more TVs or stuff to assemble in his office, which is uh, you know the most tenuous of excuses. Let's face it. And Nigel, how did you uh, how did you fail to get out of this one? How have you ended? No, up listen, you know I love you guys. You know I know you're a Tottenham. Uh, sorry, you're an Arsenal fan, which is very Ooh, sad. But Jonathan's close. a Villa fan, and you know. It's, Problems in both clubs, but, you know, I could be part of this and I'm looking forward to this weekend because I predicted a Tottenham win and I'm sure it's going to be a Tottenham win and then I can't wait to get into you in the group chat. Well, luckily for me, uh, I'm actually going to be at a wedding tomorrow, so I'm not going to watch the game. I'm going to mute the group chat, which I do anyway. Um, And... (laughs) And I'll never know. I might even just avoid the result entirely. But we will we will come on to talk about the Premier League a little bit. For those of you that want a deep dive into the North London Derby and the Manchester Derby, myself, Nigel, Ian and Joel Bayer recorded a very special episode, which I believe is already up on our YouTube channel and on the podcast feed. So one to get your teeth into, although I'm sure we'll let Jonathan and Nigel talk a bit more about some of the Premier League games. But Serie A starts off with a cracking game. Jose Mourinho back at the San Siro, one of the few grounds I would suggest where he's guaranteed a hero's welcome from both sides. Inter Milan versus AS Roma. It's a big game on paper and uh, certainly we have two teams here that are are struggling a little bit out the gates on Serie A. Jonathan Johnson, I'll come to you first. What are you expecting from this, this clash of the Titans? Yeah, this one comes at a really interesting moment because obviously Inter's form is suffering a bit, so Inzaghi's under a bit of pressure. And if there's one team or one coach that you really don't want to come up against, you know, in that kind of situation, I think it's definitely Jose uh, and Roma. You know, they do seem to have, I don't know, it's it's it's, it's almost like you know that that kind of uh, you know that savvy approach now to to coming up against some of the the bigger sides in Serie A. I mean, I. I I'm still quite confident in my prediction from before preseason that I think Roma will ultimately break into the Champions League places and possibly claim some domestic uh, cup glory. Uh, and you look at it at the moment, they're only one point off of the Champions League places. And, uh, you know, I do think that this is you know, potentially going to be a real banana skin for Inter. I mean, you look at where they are at the moment in the table, seventh, uh, you know, and I think Inter sort of, if they need, you know, if, they, if they're not going to be able to win games, they need to start being able to at least avoid some of these defeats and turning them into draws. You know, I think they're the only side in Serie A who hasn't drawn a game so far this season. So uh, I think Inzaghi definitely needs results, but I think Mourinho will be absolutely relishing sort of playing the pantomime villain, knowing that his legend is safe with the, uh, the Nerazzurri fans. Jonathan, guess what? What? I actually agree. Yeah, apart, apart from the fact that you don't believe in any of my wine suggestions in the group chat. No, your wine suggestions are crap, but your footballing isn't actually bad. Your knowledge is fantastic. Jonathan's 100% right, James. Um, 
it's the one club you don't want to face right now is going to be a Roma because you know Jose Mourinho is going to be looking for a reaction for their last uh, domestic encounter, which was against the uh, Atalanta. And uh, I watched that game as well, and it was a bit of an interesting encounter for me because I felt that it took a while for Roma to get going, and it was after they went a goal behind that they finally came to life. And the only reason why they lost that game was because they were wasteful in front of goal. You know, they had some really good chances, should have probably won that game in the sense of the chances that they had and created against a very difficult Atalanta side. Well-organised, you know, not just going forward, but defensively a lot more solid, a lot more organised, hard-working team. And again, remember, this is an Atalanta side now who don't have European games as a distraction. So it's all about Serie A. And Roma still performed very well, considering they're still playing in Europe as well. And they created a lot of chances, just not clinical enough. I think with Inter right now, as Jonathan said, there are kind of situations there where they can't learn to see out games to even come away with a point, which is very worrying. If you're going to compete for that top four, compete for winning league titles, you've got to turn those potential losses into draws. You've got to come out with a point, at least. And I think now with Jose Mourinho returning back there, being the legend that he is, he's going to get a great reception. He's going to get his players ready for it. And I think it's going to be a very difficult game for Inter. I think it's going to be very emotional all the way around. And, you know, with the Inter fans probably will be loving to have Jose Mourinho back there at the head of that club. Um, I do see Roma getting this win. I see Roma really sneaking a win and being able to get the job done. Question for both of you. I don't know how much you, I know these review would probably be quite as into them as me. Uh, your expected goals for and your expected goals against and all that. But let's start with you, Jonathan. Which team in Serie A do you think has the highest expected goals tally through the season so far? I've got a feeling. I'll give you a hint. It's is... one of the two we're discussing. All right. Um, I imagine it's a surprise. So let's say Inter, given their struggles. It is Roma. Nigel, who has allowed the fewest... Uh, you didn't even let goals. me answer. How, how are you going to just ask Jonathan and not <laughs> ask me? I was going to give you the other bit. Like, you didn't give me... Go on, anyway. Go on. What's, what's, who who has oh. allowed the fewest expected goals in Serie A this season? Fewest expected goals. I would probably say Roma. You are correct. Roma have, go, by some distance, by some yeah. distance, the most yeah, expected goals... Thank you for letting me answer. I could have got the first one right as well if you did give me an opportunity. We'll we'll say you got that one. I'll hold it against you. We'll say you got that right. I think that's one of the things that really intrigues me about this game, this game and this team. They've scored eight, conceded seven, but in terms of expected goals, FB Ref has them at nearly 15 expected goals for and about five and a half against. So they've been a bit unlucky, really, and, and they're still sick. They're doing all right. So interesting based on on what you guys are, are saying as well i think we're kind of all in agreement really that that this roma team is it's got something about it and it's uh it it, it could be maybe this is a game where they, they go bang as we all say like you know jose Mourinho loves these sorts of matches and right now he's got players like dibala abraham pellegrini that are all starting the season in really impressive form yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as well, this is part of what makes Serie A so interesting at this moment in time, because you look at the top of the table at the moment and the, you know, an Atalanta freed of, of European commitments are suddenly starting to show some of their best form again. I think the only unbeaten side uh, sort of in and around the, the, the title position right now. Uh, and then you've got Udinese as well, you know, completely out of the blue coming with that really strong start to the season. Uh, you know, and so for Roma, I mean, we're talking positively about them, but sort of in relation to the, the the statistics, I guess they're sort of underperforming at the moment in terms of their position. I'm sure that will write itself in the in the, in the coming weeks. But it just it certainly seems to me that Serie A, like a number of other different leagues, now has these teams, ones that are equipped to deal with you know European and domestic uh, duties, and others that are not so much because you have. Quite a few squads who have, you know, a very high quality 11, perhaps not the strength in depth needed, uh, you know, on the continent, Atalanta being one of them. And Roma, I think, are one of those rare sides who, to me, they just about have sort of enough depth across the board to be competitive both domestically and uh, and in Europe. So I'm curious to see how this one plays out because I do have Roma down to sort of make a push and make their way into the Champions League positions leading into the World Cup break. Nigel, I was going to say, James, to you. Um, how long do you think Inzaghi has at Inter? 
Oh, I mean, it's very hard to tell because, you know, much like, and we'll have this conversation, I think, again about Allegri, the financial situation at these top Italian teams is not one that makes it easy for you to sack a manager that you pay a lot of money to if they're not going to go and immediately get a job elsewhere. I mean, I think Inzaghi could, when we talk about Allegri, I have doubts as to who would who would hire him at, at his wages. So the, the thing that intrigues me, though, is is you look at both these those two teams. Let's not get carried away on Juventus. We'll come on to talk about them. Thomas Tuchel, for it feels to me, and you also have someone like Pochettino, and even we could say Antonio Conte, lurking in the background as options that could emerge. Um, there are yeah. a lot of opportunities. Uh, Jonathan, I'm, I'm going to interrupt there. Jonathan, did you see that? He threw Conte's name in there. I wonder why. Is it because he's a bit worried <laughs> that Conte's making... Tottenham I'll pack his bags for him. The North head, right head, headline news, James Benj yeah. tries to destabilize Tottenham Hotspur and Antonio Conte, Conte who doesn't really need a destabilizing anyway, even on a good day. Well, I think uh, the thing with Conte is he'll always, he'll always make you think he could be about to go, won't he? And and he he's will, got a short know, lifespan. Conte, Conte is a manager of three, don't, four don't years. Cha- don't change Antonio. It's you know, it's it's pure theatre. It's great. Exactly. It, you know, it keeps it interesting. So uh, I've actually got a question which I'm going to send to Nigel to follow on from his question to James because it's related to the Inter Milan situation. You had a situation in the summer where PSG wanted to buy Skriniar for around sixty million euros. Inter dug their heels and said no. They've tried extending his contract, which sounds like it's unlikely to be extended now so they're in a situation where they either lose him uh you know on a free at the end of the season or they sell him at a you know reduced price come january if you're in inter situation given you know the financial peril that they've been in for the last couple of years i mean surely they were crazy to reject that bid for screeniar and not try and source you know uh, a decent replacement perhaps not like for like but you know go somewhere else where they could have brought somebody in who could do the job uh you know and, and bank that money yeah i think they're still very silly to do that i think they should have done it knowing the financial situation that they're in i think they should have taken the offer tried to find a replacement and again we've we've had these conversations where the world of football is so big. There's talent everywhere. It just depends how willing you are to use your resources and your scouting network. I think that sometimes, as um, we'd all agree, clubs, you have to cut your losses. You know, you have to cut your losses at the right time in the sense of that's a great offer. We can get rid of him and bring someone else in. But you have to be a well-structured and well-organized club because the problem that most of these clubs have, especially when you've got players in that top 1%, when they keep rejecting those contract offers that you give them and they get into their last year of their contract, there's an opportunity they can go in a free or sign a pre-contract halfway through the season. So from you maybe getting a year, the last year of their contract within their last year of their contract and offer 50, 60 million or whatever it is, and then you try and turn it down thinking that they want to stay at the club, it's a gamble, it's a risk. And most of the time now in the modern game, it's always going to be a gamble that falls in favour to these players in that 1% because you always see these players leaving as free transfers or being sold for absolute peanuts when the club probably could have got a lot more a year earlier into it. And and Nigel, in, in those sort of situations when, when you were at teams, did you kind of find that players that were in that final year, were they pulling out of tackles a bit more? Were they, especially like, you know, when they know that there's offers on the horizon... Are they kind of thinking oh, yeah. about the long term? Hundred percent. It's a it's a selfish thing, and it's funny because it reminds me of um, my days in the dressing room, and this is my time at Wimbledon. My manager always used to say to us, "Yeah, you're all teammates, but he's not paying your mortgage. Just remember that." So it's the same thing. It always goes to when you get into that dressing room at professional level, no matter what club you're at, there is that bit of slight selfishness because. He's not going to pay your mortgage, so you better make sure you perform and do what you have to do. So there gets that point where players get in these situations and they will start to be a bit more selfish. They might not even train properly. You know, I've seen some players do a big throw their toys out their prime in training sessions because they didn't get a move. And I've got all types of stories, but I remember that's the for another pod that we'll do that's called After Dark, Footballers After Dark, eh? <laughs> you better be willing to burn through some uh, some old friendships there if you're going to talk about that. Right, I'll final one. Des, the producer, the propaganda is just piling up for this this show to finally see the light of day. Oh, fans will be fan, fans will be so happy with some of the stories that came that come out. We've got to do your autobiography, Nigel. That's what we need to do. Uh, Final word on Inter Milan versus AS Roma. Uh, Let's do some predictions. JJ, kick us off. 
Roma win. Uh, I am going to say 2-1. Nigel? I'm going to go for 3-1 win for Roma. Yeah, I'm going to go 1-0 for Roma. I mean, I think it might be a bit of a classic Mourinho, this one. I think it's strange how we're all so optimistic about this dour defensive manager. But does he he celebrate or does he do a bit of a stormsy... uh, Finger to the lips. <laughs> How have I we not discussed that the, video? The quiet, quiet. Let's respect this place. Let's respect this place. Just in case I have to come back here again. He prefers not to speak. <laughs> he prefers not to speak. And frankly, I prefer not to speak about Juventus against Bologna. So I'm going to make you two. Max Allegri struggling on the ropes a little bit at the moment. Juventus down in eighth. Two wins, four draws and then one defeat in their seven Serie A matches. Anyone that has pulled the short straw of having to watch them in Serie A or the Champions League will know it is like, dra- you know, like dragging chalk across your eyeballs. It's a deeply unpleasant experience. Nigel, well, what are Juventus doing sticking with this manager? Again, I think it's like you said, it's the financial situations. I think that football has changed so much, guys, and you guys are probably a lot more aware of it than me in the sense of the business side of the game now that we're seeing And because of the world economy, that affects some of these guys. You know, they've put so much money into it. And some of these football club owners don't just own one business. And some of the businesses that they use to facilitate the financial side of their clubs and however way they work it in that sense is affected by the global economy. I think that these are the decisions that clubs have to be very careful of in when you bring managers in, how much you're paying these managers and the cost of it. The reality of it is Juventus are in a big rebuilding phase. They can't think that they're the same Juventus of old where they've got some top-class players and they can go and pick players from other places and they'll want to come to Juventus and play at Juventus because of Juventus's history in the name. Yes, it's a big club, but the game has changed and you have to always be proactive. I think that's the word we're going to have to see a lot more in football now where you have to be proactive constantly in recruiting in players and identifying talent and keep that, that machine going. One club we talk about, and I've always said it does it quite well up to now, still is... Real Madrid, there's a certain level of expectancy, certain level of quality of players that's needed. Managers just go there to manage. That's your job. Nothing else. Don't worry about recruiting. Just go there and manage. Um, With Juventus, it's kind of what Jonathan said, and I think I'll put this to Jonathan after. It's If you're Juventus right now, what is the best option? Because your fans are kind of silently protesting by not coming to the games anymore. You don't ever really see Juventus stadiums empty to the state it's been at, even for Champions League games which means the fans are just that disgusted at the football that they're seeing and what the standards have dropped for Juventus. Do you sack your manager knowing that you've got a manager in the sense of Pochettino, who is sitting in the wing, who is a manager that can build something and build success for the long term and stabilise your club while he's still waiting? Or do you stick with this manager and continue to believe that your rebuilding process is still on the way and has years that you, you believe that it can really take shape? Yeah, I mean, this it, this is a really interesting one, Juve, because, uh, you know, there's so much going on there at the club and there doesn't seem to be any sort of change on the horizon anytime soon because Juve, like Inter, you know, have quite well-documented financial struggles. Uh, and I think I was reading already uh, just this week that despite the fact that he only signed in the summer and made quite a bright start to life before uh, suffering a few injuries, Angel Di Maria is already sort of casting an eye towards Argentina for the end of the season and potentially moving away because Juve need his wages off of the books. Uh, you've got that huge contract that Allegri is on that, as our friend uh, Fabrizio Romano explained uh, a couple of weeks ago, was basically you know Juventus reacting to Real Madrid putting an offer on the table for Allegri and wanting to beat that uh you know then you've got all these key players injured as well guys like Chiesa Pogba uh you know who you know regardless of sort of what their form is like on the pitch you know they are key players given uh, you know the the money that Juve have put into them you've got Vlaovic who's suddenly looking a shadow of himself from his Fiorentina days as well uh you know and I was reading an article earlier this week um, about how Allegri sort of represents sort of the old school uh, Italian manager style where it's all results based and you've got somebody like De Zerbi, who obviously is now the, the new Brighton manager who is you know sort of more of an innovator looks to play a more enterprising style of football uh, you know and perhaps this could be sort of the moment that just shows you know how 
kind of far behind modern football Allegri has fallen because, you know, results-based football is not enough at any level these days, whether it's for club, whether it's for country. You know, you have to sort of be more uh, proactive, as, as Nigel was saying. And I feel that Juventus are in a really difficult situation now where they need to overhaul this squad majorly again, uh, you know, but also need somebody who can come in and, you know, perhaps, you know, put in place a, a more long-term project. And given sort of his family links, uh, you know, to the area, perhaps Pochettino would, uh, you know, be a good solution. I think I said it a couple of weeks ago after I'd seen Juve against PSG at Parc des Princes. I mean, OK, 2-1, it's not a result really to be sniffed at considering the players that they're missing. But the style of football that was served up was drab, to say the very least. Just a quick one. I think uh, John, Jonathan and James, it doesn't quite help as well when your director of football is kind of enjoying himself in the bars and the, the late hours of the night while your footballing club is struggling. And I'm sure you, you're very aware of what I'm referencing to, even though he's a legend. He's one of the legends of uh, that club that I really enjoyed watching play in his uh, heyday. But that doesn't quite help and send a great <laughs> message. Yes, I don't know which uh, particular blonde-haired Czech Republic superstar you might be referring to, Nigel. But maybe we should leave oh, it there. Oh wow! You just threw, I just I just left it like that. You just you just put it there. I mean, it you could be any of them. Names. You might as well name names now. You know, could be Jan Toller in a wig. To- Thomas be- Hubschman, surely. Yeah, it could be Vladimir Smeitzer, <laughs> Milan Baros, could be anyone. Um, I mean, just one final thought on this game. I think for me, and actually Juventus as a whole, I think they naturally they are worried about the cost. Of, of sacking Max Allegri. He's like, you know, I thought JJ described him very well as a results manager, but right now let's remember he's a results manager that's not getting the results. But I tell you what costs a lot more than sacking Max Allegri, uh, not getting in the Champions League. And I think that has to be a real concern because we're going to come on to talk about two teams together that that look like they could well be in the top four for a fair while yet. And it's early in the season, but Atalanta at home to Fiorentina, Napoli at home to Torino, uh, Jonathan, come to you first. Leading the way at the top of the Serie A table, which of these two do you think has more staying power? Well, I think definitely given the last couple of seasons, I think Atalanta, uh, you know, are probably uh, the one that you would fancy to go furthest. I mean, I think... Atalanta for a while have been had been a victim of their own success last season where you know I think they almost became as opposed to being sort of an underrated dark horse of Europe they became rated and then suddenly the expectations on them were much higher and it was harder for them to live up to those expectations now out of European competition they're able to get back to sort of doing what they were best at uh, and I mean, I do think as well, there have been signs over the last sort of 12 to 18 months that, you know, Gasparini has fallen out with some of the key players um, as well. You know, obviously, uh, you know, very sad to sort of see the demise of Ilicic, who was such a star performer for that Atalanta side that, that you know, that looks so swashbuckling on the, on the Champions League stage. Uh, you know, and then there was obviously the very public falling out with Papu Gomez as well. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of, of Fiorentina uh, and what they're doing under Vincenzo Italiano, but I do feel that Atalanta of these two sides are probably best um, set at this moment in time to to perhaps dispute the Champions League places. But don't rule the the Viola out. I think they've become a lot more pragmatic and sort of living up to to their historic name in the last couple of years, which is refreshing because there had been some really really lean times in Florence. Well, I don't really think there's much I can add to that, James. You know, Jonathan just took it all. Didn't even give me a chance to speak. But um, <laughs> I think that for me, the, the big thing is we've seen Atalanta play at such a great level and really develop in these past couple of years while competing also in the Champions League. I think what gives them a great edge this year is the fact, again, like Jonathan said, there's no European competition. And I was very impressed with the, the, the Roma game. And the thing about when I say I'm impressed with that fact is, even though I said Roma did have the better chances is, is the fact of how they weathered the storm. You know, I think for me, defensively, they've got even better this year in the sense of how they're defending. You know, they still play very attacking football when they can get forward, but they're not leaving themselves as open as we've seen at times, which has cost them games. I think they've got great talent. Um, Lockman also managed to come onto the pitch with a little bit of British connection there. You know, a young guy's gone into Italy, gone into that team, working hard, uh, came on, but... I feel that really and truly they are probably the one that has the slight edge just in the fact of not having Europe to deal with this year. And they're just kind of adding more layers to what they've been building for recent of recent years. And it's really working and the, the club is really run well and it's well structured. While Florentina, as Jonathan say, are coming up now, but 
Florentine have always been kind of, oh, would you describe Florentine as a bit of a roller coaster or more downs than ups, really? It's a sleeping giant as well. I think we all kind of... Yeah, it's a definite sleeping giant, but there have been more downs than ups for them. And I just Mm. don't think they've got it right for a long time. You're talking from the days of what? Gabriel Batistuta days and um, uh, Rui Costa and all those players. I, th- I think the last sort of real time in the sun that they had was Prandelli's first spell where they really sort of were almost darlings of Europe, certainly sort of domestic darlings for a little while, had Luca Toni performing really well, was sort of enjoying the Indian summer of Adrian Mutu's career, Sebastian Frey, guys like that. But there is sort of a historic expectation, I think, on the club that they hadn't managed to live up to for quite some time. Obviously, Prandelli's second coming was hugely underwhelming, which, you know, led to him basically walking away from uh, from the game and uh, you know it is it is good to see them you know getting back there now and some positivity uh, around the club again I think you're both mad by the way when we're talking about uh, Atlanta and Napoli I think it's pretty crystal clear to me that Napoli are the team that are more likely to and I actually think they're the team that may well end up winning Serie A outright I mean I think we're seeing even now with someone like Victor Osimhen going down that Gio Simeone is a solid Serie A striker that midfield actually looks quite strong. We've not seen much of Tangi and Dombele. Uh, Giacomo Raspadori as well. What a game he had against England in the Nations League. I think this Napoli team have real talent. You've got to question the staying power until they show it. But um, Nigel, you look like you have something you want to say. I know there'll be lots of people saying, when are you going to talk about the Premier League? But... Uh, My thing was this. When I was talking about Atalanta, I was more concentrating with Atalanta and Florentina. Well, we're talking about all of them together, which you grouped up. I would agree with you. I would say Napoli. I am very, very impressed by what I've seen with Napoli so far, not just in Serie A, but also in the Champions League. And again, if they can avoid any more major injuries, for me, they are the one. I really feel they're such a great team. And you can tell by how they're playing as well. Sometimes, you know, you can see that there's a great togetherness in that squad, in that unit, by how the players react with one another when a goal is scored, how the game goes on. You know, there's not really any throwing of the arms and, you know, oh, you should have passed that here. There's a real togetherness and team spirit. We watched them play uh, AC Milan as well and how they got that win there. I just feel for me, it is absolutely fantastic. And this could be a fairy tale season for Napoli. I'm a big Napoli fan, tremendous talent. Great players there that I, I really like and enjoy watching. And they're playing football in the modern era, so to speak. Not your typical traditional Italian style of football. They're willing to attack. They get forward. They leave themselves vulnerable at times. But there's belief in the players that they can handle that in one-on-one situations. But I would definitely agree with you, James. Even though you are a gooner, I would agree with you that Napoli, for me, definitely, I think they do have what it takes to win the Serie A they don't get any more serious injuries or any serious injuries. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd agree with that. Uh, I think they've shown well so far. Very impressive in Europe as well, obviously, with that big win over Liverpool. Um, you know, the only thing I would say is that they still have to get past that tricky period around Christmas time, which I mean, obviously, they're going to have the break for the World Cup. Uh, but, you know, they when they lost Ozyman last uh, last winter, that really sort of derailed their season. So I think they, if they can learn to sort of channel that experience, uh, into avoiding the same mistakes this time around, then yes, you know, I definitely think they're well set to not only challenge, uh, you know, for for the title, but potentially ultimately go and win it uh, as well. I really like the way that the the team has been overhauled, and you know, I think Spalletti has the bit between his teeth this season after the disappointment of last campaign. So certainly, I think that you know both Napoli uh, and Atalanta, since we're merging them together, you know, have the have the the potential, uh, you know, to sort of challenge there at the very top. But, you know, if I had to pick a team based, you know, at this moment in the season, I'd probably go for Napoli just over them, uh, over over Atalanta. But it is uh, it, it is a close call. And I do think that it will be quite telling to see sort of how Napoli fare just sort of coming out of the, the beginning of the of next year, 2023. So we, we started that section with JJ picking Atalanta over Napoli. End it with JJ picking. I was picking Atalanta. Napoli. I was picking Atalanta over Fiorentina. So slightly. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Like I think we're going to need this well. There was a little bit of. I thought there. we were coming on to that next, James, but we got it I right. We're going to need the tape replayed to see. What in, I a, in, a, in any case, two two very good teams. So I think we'll be up and there and thereabouts challenging for the Champions League all season. 
Right, that is Serie A comprehensively covered after the break. We're going to hit on the Premier League. We're going to hit on Bundesliga, big games. Liga and with our expert, Jonathan Johnson. I will begrudgingly allow conversations about La Liga as well. That's all to come right after this break. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yep, that's it. We do have Champions League football coming starting next week. It never rains, it pours in European football and what a week it's going to be. I am incredibly excited for Chelsea against AC Milan on Wednesday night, I believe, for Kyo Tomori and Olivier Giroud back at the bridge. And it's with Palace against Chelsea that we are going to start. Just a reminder, if you're... Before we get into that, James, who's going to win that game? Chelsea, AC Milan? Yeah. I mean, I'm... If I'm, if you're making me pick one, I would say draw. But if you're making me pick, I'm edging towards Milan. But it will, I might completely change my mind based on JJ. the game we're going to. Who are you going with? Chelsea. Just <clears throat> we need you to pick one now. Oh, Milan all day long, mate. It's it's gonna it's it's, it's the coming home of Zeru. You're gonna see it written in there. Zeru's gonna score. It's good. I see AC Milan winning that. Yeah, I think everyone should know when Olivier Giroud has the, the bone between his teeth and a point to prove there are a few strikers like him. Unfortunately, Nigel has like. has spoiled my delicately crafted link in my own head. But we'll start by talking about Palace against Chelsea. If you are looking for a comprehensive, detailed discussion about the North London derby and the Manchester derby, we do have our own special preview pod YouTube video we released yesterday. Nigel Rio Coca was glowing about Arsenal and their chances. I believe what he said was nailed on for the Premier League title. Uh, I believe. <laughs> glad, glad, glad I missed it then. <laughs> Nigel, Crystal Palace against Chelsea. Graham Potter's first Premier League game with the Blues. Palace, a tough place to go, but Palace is struggling a little bit down in 16th. Chelsea, having sacked their manager, you might think they're a little bit lower than seventh in the table, having played a game fewer than a fair few of the teams below them. What are you expecting from It's an interesting and odd one, James. Sorry to cut you off, mate. Um, I was just going to say, sorry, it's uh, an interesting one because... When you, you look at Palace's position, you would say that they're struggling, but the performances don't show struggling. That's the yeah. thing. I think that's the element that we always seize upon uh, being in the media, where when a team's struggling, you can say they're struggling by position-wise, but you can also see by the display on the pitch. But for me, I wouldn't say Palace's display have been that bad where you can say that they're not together or they're not playing good football. They are. They've just been very unfortunate with some results so far. I think, again, Patrick Vieira is doing a fantastic job and he doesn't really get enough credit for what he's doing at Crystal Palace in regards to the circumstances of what he's been given to work with. You know, he hasn't been given good budgets. They're playing fantastic football. I grew up in that area. I used to walk to Sellers Park uh, in five minutes, 10 minutes, even when I became a professional, when we were sharing grounds with Wimbledon. That was my walk to the stadium to play professional games. Um, and I think the feeling around there for Palace fans is the football's been great. You know, they, they're doing really well. Zaha, for me, is the star man. I feel it's a very difficult game for Graham Potter to go with Chelsea because I don't still feel that it's going to take a while for him to implement his system and his style of what he really wants. And I'm sure he's not going to want all the players that are at Chelsea at the moment. And I think that since, obviously, Tuchel's left, there's probably going to be some disgruntled players, in my personal opinion. We discussed again once in a while. I'm interested to see what Jonathan thinks, how long it's going to last for playing Raheem Sterling wide on the left, how happy he's going to be for that. And again, the questions that you ask about this Chelsea situation in the club at the moment is the fact of how do you buy a Bamiyang 
for a manager he worked with at Dortmund and then sack him a day after Aubameyang arrives and then expect Graham Potter to want to work with a striker like that. And I'm sure that's not going to be the same. And I don't care what anyone says. I think Aubameyang is a talented player, but he doesn't have the fire in his belly and his eyes anymore. And you can see that by his display and how he's performing. Because either way, if Chelsea are going to get rid of him, they're going to have to pay a lot of money. I think it's a very difficult game for Chelsea. And I don't think it's going to be an easy win. And I think we're going to see elements of Chelsea still trying to have that identity under Graham Potter. And um, I think it, it's, it's a difficult place to go to Sellers Park. And I'm sure Patrick Vieira is going to want a reaction as well from his Crystal Palace side. And just before I give it to Jonathan, I've seen something about now Chelsea being interested in a certain Jude Bellingham. Um, and if that kid is listening anywhere, some way or somehow, stay away from Chelsea. If there's Real Madrid interested, go to Real Madrid because him going to Chelsea will be the wrong decision for that young, talented player. Oh, we can't can't share too much love for an ex Birmingham City boy, though. Uh, it's for me that this this Chelsea side. It's going to take a while for for Potter to to get his ideas across, as Nigel was saying. But also at the same time, you know, look at it from the the point of view of some of the players who have perhaps had their noses you know put out of place a little bit uh, under Thomas Tuchel. Suddenly, it's an opportunity to get themselves back into the manager's good books, get themselves back into the first team picture. Uh, you know, your likes of like uh, you know your Pulisic's, for example. Uh, you know, so I think that there is all to play for in the first few weeks of a, of a new manager's uh, reign. Uh, and, you know, I think this is a, it, it is a tough challenge. It's a winnable game uh, for Chelsea, for sure. But uh, also at the same time, you know, it will be enough of a test, uh, you know, for, for, for Potter to see how his players respond immediately. So for, for me, I think that this is perhaps, you know, considering sort of the weird nature of the last couple of weeks, kind of like the ideal match, uh, you know, for Potter to have leading back into club action, uh, you know, from this weekend up until the World Cup, because I think that will give him a good indication quite early on as to who he can rely on uh, more than others. Uh, you know, and I, I'm curious to see sort of how long it takes before we start to see a Chelsea that really has sort of, you know, Potter's blueprints all over it. I mean, one interesting thing to maybe note on that before we dive into the predictions was we all mentioned Sterling, but aside from him, a lot of the players were playing in roles they were a lot more comfortable with than kind of what happens when you've had a manager for a long time is he starts having to or feeling he has to jam square pegs in round holes. You know, someone like Kukurea playing that left centre-back, come left-back role. Reese James looked so much more at ease at right wing-back. Havertz in a front two. I mean, someone's going to have to make sacrifices and maybe it's, it is Raheem Sterling. And, and I think Nigel's very right to say that might not last long, but he will have had a lot of time on the training ground. We should also say so. Kind of for that reason, my prediction is that Chelsea find this really tough, but they get the job done with a 2-1 win. Nigel, what about you? I, for some reason, see a draw. I'm going to go for a 2-2 a draw. Mm, interesting. I'm going to go for a 1-0 Chelsea win. Well, there we go. I think plenty of plenty of doubts over Chelsea, even if we do kind of think they will shade it. On the subject, though, of teams that have not played a lot, Liverpool did not win a Premier League game in September. Now, admittedly, that was because they only played one of them and they drew against Everton. They are now at home to Brighton, Roberto De Zerbi's first Premier League game. Obviously, unsurprisingly, the punditocracy has been suspicious about a foreigner coming over here to England, an Italian manager in England. When would that work? Graham Souness might well ask, you know, when has Claudio Ranieri, Antonio Conte, Carlo Ancelotti or Roberto Mancini achieved anything in the Premier League? So what can we accept from, expect from Roberto De Zerbi, who left Shakhtar Donetsk because apparently he wasn't up for managing a team that had just been invaded? Um, as you can... Uh, as you can imagine, I have some thoughts on that, but I want to hear from you guys. Jonathan, what are you expecting from Liverpool and what are you expecting from Brighton? This could be a, a tough test for both teams. Uh, as much as I'm sure the majority of our listeners are probably tuning in wanting to know our thoughts on Liverpool, I'm actually more interested to see what happens with Brighton over these first couple of games because obviously, you know, what Potter has done uh, over the last couple of years with them, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it's going to be such a challenge. I mean, I, I'm almost tempted to say that 
you know, Deservey faces more of a challenge following in, in Potter's footsteps than Potter does following in Tuchel's. But obviously we know that Tuchel won the Champions League with Chelsea, so that's no easy gig either. But, you know, to keep Brighton sort of on this upwards trajectory that they're on, uh, you know, obviously a lot of that is down to the fact that the club is extremely well run uh, behind the scenes, but it's also going to take a certain mentality, you know, approach uh, to be able to keep the, the momentum going, to keep, you know, Brighton, uh, you know, con- continuing to to conf- confound the critics. And for me, I think that Deserby, having listened to sort of some of the reasoning behind, uh, you know, why Brighton made that decision, not just the fact that he was uh, a highly rated manager who was currently available. Uh, you know, I do think that it's going to be, uh, you know, very telling to see how quickly he starts using English, uh, you know, in his interactions with the press, but also, uh, you know, with, uh, with his squad as a whole, uh, you know, because I think, you know, he can't really afford for, you know, results to drop off the first couple of weeks. You know, he doesn't want to be under pressure sort of heading into that World Cup break, uh, you know, and I think coming up against the Liverpool side who, you know, have blown really hot or cold so far this season, uh, you know, I, I think that there is an opportunity to to sort of, you know, make a statement and, and you know, put in a re- very positive first showing in this match. Nigel, I've got a question for you kind of based on this Deserby talk. I mean, when you were in the dressing room, I'm sure you had several, you know, new managers come in and there were all sorts of talking points in the press about them. How much does that feed in and how much does sort of scepticism from the media inform how you as a squad react to your new managers? I wouldn't say it's scepticism also from the media. I think it's just the players. You know, when we had new managers come in, we were players would have questions for sure. They'll be like, okay. Uh, depending on the manager, like I've mainly, I remember the time when Martin O'Neill resigned just before the season started and then we were like oh my god who's coming in who's coming in you and me both and he was coming we were all (laughs) nervous and worried and then obviously uh i think uh kevin kevin mcdonald took over so we were aware of him we knew of him and he worked at the club but it doesn't mean just because he works at the club that people know or or think oh he's going to be a good choice because you've worked him you know what he's like so players do have that sense of what a manager's like. And then obviously, um, in the end, um, uh, Gerard Houllier came in, which obviously some people had experience with working with. And for me, it was new. And more than anything, for me, I was a bit more excited because I knew of him at time at Liverpool and what his philosophy was. And he was great. To this day, I feel that he's one of the best managers I worked with, you know, when it came to football. And remember, we grew up in a different generation, James. Like, we grew up with players who weren't as professional and didn't like to be told an element of professional. There was still that bit of a dinosaur mentality, which sometimes goes with some of the pundits that we see in England who are so scared of uh, foreign managers and accusing them of using Google to find out about clubs. But just to add to what Jonathan said, and I agree with Jonathan, I think for me, we know what to expect with um, um, Liverpool. We've seen them, we know what it is. They're not hitting the heights of what we're used to seeing, the standards that they've set. But I'm more interested in Brighton to see how it does. And I think that this manager coming in is probably under a lot more spotlight, a bigger spotlight and scrutiny just because of what Graham Potter's done at Brighton. And like Jonathan said, how well that club has run. So I think it's going to take a bit of time. He's had time to spend with the players. It's how quickly, again, he can adjust to Brighton's philosophy. I wouldn't say it's Graham Potter's philosophy. I think it's now something that Brighton, the club, has taken on board to be. This is what our club is about. And uh, and it's going to be interesting. Right, let's take a look at those other Premier League fixtures. Des, if you can get them up on screen. I'm going to give you a minute to talk about any of the other ones. One uninterrupted minute. We're playing just a minute. No hesitation, repetition or deviation. We have Arsenal versus Tottenham kicking off the weekend, followed by Bournemouth against Brentford. I think that'll be a very fun game. Crystal Palace against Chelsea, Fulham, Newcastle, Liverpool, Brighton, we discussed as well. Southampton, Everton, West Ham, Wolves, Man City, Man United, Leeds, Aston Villa, and then finally, and the one I'm most intrigued by, I have to say, Leicester City against Nottingham Forest. I mean, crisis is still kind of hanging over Leicester. We maybe thought that Brendan Rodgers, his future was in doubt going into the international break. You would assume that right now he basically has free reign until the World Cup comes around. There is no time when you can sack someone and get another manager in before the middle of November. So he has a month basically to turn this round. I think he's probably got quite a pleasant assignment to start that off. Forrest are still kind of a long way from the finished article 
and there's work to be done. So I kind of, for this, I, I lean towards Leicester dragging themselves out of the mire, but I think if they do drop more points, as much as everything I've said is true, that you shouldn't sack a manager when you're playing games all the time, there will come a stage where it just becomes too much of a worry having Brendan Rodgers at the Leicester, at the Leicester helm. Um, Nigel, you next. Any Premier League games you've got an eye on? Oh, come on, man. It's hard to say, but I have to look at the North London derby. Come on, that, that's the one. <laughs> I want to see Conte show how tactically better he is as a manager than Arteta. And I wonder what music Arteta played to stimulate professional players at the highest level to get them ready for the North London derby. You're an Arsenal fan. I'm sure you're going inside. What music was he playing? I'll have you know that the thing you are referring to it was also done. It was also done in La Masia as a way of helping young Barcelona footballers familiarise themselves, and it's quite a common thing that people no, do a lot. But it didn't. It didn't look great. No, no, James, James, that's that's participation trophy behaviour. We don't. We didn't grow up in that. I'm sorry. No, if you can't get yourself, <laughs> Ars- Arsenal, are, Arsenal are a big club, as James knows. They wake up every day listening to the Europa League soundtrack, just blasting <laughs> like stimulating them to try and <laughs> qualify in the top four that Tottenham took for them. Anyway, my thing is this, guys. You guys know if you are a professional football player at the highest level, and you need to be motivated by music to get up to go and play at Anfield or whatever it is to go and play at Old Trafford or to play in the North London derby. You shouldn't be a professional football player. I'm sorry. You should not need any more motivation than just dreaming of it as a kid. This is what you dreamt to work towards. And then you want to be, your manager has to play music to motivate you. I'm sorry. Participation trophy behavior. I'm not, I'm not rising to this. Jonathan, uh, (laughs) have you got your eyes on Leeds Villa? No doubt. I have indeed. I mean, I'm sure I'm speaking for for both Nigel and I because I know that he'll definitely have his eyes on Ellen Road uh, come Sunday. But no, I mean, going from one manager under pressure in Brendan Rodgers to another, Steven Gerrard, you know, who feels like at this moment in time he's living on borrowed time. I mean, I know Villa got an important win against Southampton just before the international break, but it still feels like the absolute bare minimum. And unless, you know, there is an uptick in form and points, and it's not an easy run of games that, that we've got coming in the in the next couple of weeks. You know, I know that Chelsea at home is sort of nestled in there. I think we've got a couple of games against United, including one in the cup, which you could have backed, you know, bet the house on uh, that we we draw them in the, in the domestic cups. So, you know, for me, I think this is a winnable game for Villa. Uh, but obviously, uh, you know, there are major question marks over the squad, sort of how new faces like Dendonka and Bednarek are going to be bed in. And then you've lost two important players in Camera and Dean, uh, as well as obviously Diego Carlos, who was injured earlier this season. And you've got, you know, Martinez, who's flown the other side of the world and is kind of in, you know, a little bit ropey form at this moment in time. Uh, so, you know, a lot to play for uh, if you're Villa in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, I think it's important not to lose a game like this. Uh, you know, coming up ahead of such a, a crucial run of games, because otherwise, you know, Gerard, you know, might well beat Rogers to the to the post and and be the next manager to be dismissed in the Premier League. And that is the Premier League. Let's rattle through these other leagues, in particular La Liga, uh, Real Madrid playing Osasuna, Mallorca against Barcelona. We know what's going to happen there. I think maybe the big game of the weekend. Nigel, anything to say about struggling Sevilla against underwhelming Atletico Madrid? Oh, it's going to be an underwhelming game. Um, I think, obviously, Atletico coming off a, a Madrid derby loss as well. Um, I'm sure Simeone's going to want a reaction. Um, I'm, I used to be a big Simeone fan, but now I'm seeing more of his antics on the sideline when he loses being a bit of a sore loser, like a spoiled child. It's starting to kind of put me off him a bit. I think Sevilla, obviously, coming off a, a, a win as well, their last game, and starting to kind of get together, but you can see Atletico getting the job done. So it's, it's a big, big game for both clubs because they're both, as you said, basically being very underwhelming. But I can see Atletico getting the job done and a reaction from the Madrid derby loss. Yeah, I mean, that will add pressure at Sevilla, just one point above the relegation zone. JJ, I know you've kept a firm eye on, on Julian Lopetegui. Did you have him down as the first Champions League manager to be sacked? And uh, do you think he might still lose his job even though he's missed out on that dubious honour? 
Yeah, I mean, it was really funny, sort of the, the hijinks surrounding the Sevilla job a couple of weeks ago, because you had Lopetegui, like some reports saying that he'd been axed, some saying that Sevilla board were deliberating over, you know, whether to let him go or not. And there were reports that Pochettino had been seen on a train going to see Sevilla playing uh, against Espanyol. And then Sevilla win that game. I think it was a last minute winner, which suddenly saves Lopetegui's job. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I definitely think Lopetegui's on borrowed time, but he seems to have, you know, found himself a, a bit of breathing space at this moment in time whether or not uh, you know Sevilla do revisit the, the potential Pochettino interest we'll have to wait and see uh, but yeah I mean it, it feels very difficult to get too excited about this game you've got a very sort of journeyman like Sevilla uh, squad and then Atleti who just I mean they always seem to like trundle along in like second gear with a lot of aggression uh you know it's kind of like the worst kind of driver to come up uh, you know behind on the streets so for me I think this is going to be a really dull draw uh I'd expect uh and it's certainly not one that I'd be worried too worried about missing unfortunately Great comment, I thought, there from Matt Osman. Simeone was great 10 years ago. Now he looks like a football dinosaur. I think that's pretty harsh, but actually we're getting towards the stage where it might not it's be a wrong. Recurring, it's yeah. a recurring theme in this podcast today, Allegri, Simeone. And I, no, but you know what, though? Honestly, I think Matt's right, though. And I think for me, yeah. I think when we look at the game, because I think all of us kind of grew up in a generation where you'd see footballers staying at certain clubs for 10, 12 years. You'd see loads of footballers doing it. That doesn't exist no more. The game is producing so many players, so many players from around the world. I think footballers and managers are basically very similar. Lifespan of four to maybe five years max at a club, and then you need a new challenge because it becomes stale, it becomes boring, it becomes comfortable. So I agree to Matt. I think for me, Simeone needs a new challenge. I think he's done as much as he can at Atletico and he needs to go somewhere else and, and, and to be really different. I think Arsenal would be a great spot for him, don't you think, John? <laughs> I'm sure James would absolutely love that. I mean, you know, Simeone, though, there's there's also surely an argument to say that, you know, the ship has kind of sailed now. Simeone's stock, I mean, okay, it's not going to absolutely tank, but it's not as high as it used to be. You know, I don't think he will be linked with some of those elite positions, uh, you know, in I the future, like in Chelsea. Milan. I think like he would, but the problem is, again, it's the money he's being paid. He is one of the highest paid managers in world football. People don't realize he's... He's the highest, I believe. He is the highest oh, manager. And, and also with Scaloni, with Scaloni's contract being extended, the Argentina national team has been blocked off again for another couple of years. So if he is on the move in the next sort of year or so, it would have to be somewhere else and probably somewhere that he's familiar with. So yeah, you know, Inter, Inter makes a bit of sense. Absolutely no chance. Let's not even hear that nonsense. I mean, personally, like my only thing I would add to that, you have a fantastic, talented young forward in Joe Felix, who is clearly still a very good player, but is shackled by current management. And I think, you know, agreeing with everything you guys say, I would be investing my future in a player like Joe Felix, not in any coach, because frankly, you know, the players are the ones that win you games. That was more than enough interminable La Liga talk. I won't be having that next time I'm hosting here. Let's rattle through the Bundesliga. Keep this tight. Keep this exciting, much like the league itself. Union Berlin, table-topping Union Berlin, somehow undefeated, scoring goals for fun with Pifok leading the line. They're away to Frankfurt. But I think the big game of the weekend, Bayern Munich against Bayer Leverkusen, both of these teams far lower in the Bundesliga table than they would have been expected. Bayern 15th, uh, fifth even, a few too many draws. Confused because Bayer Leverkusen, richly talented Bayer Leverkusen, one of the model clubs of German football, down in 15th. One win from seven games, nine goals scored, 12 conceded. Uh, any hope kind of from from JJ, any hope from you that this might turn around? They've been looking a little better in the UCL of late. Possibly. I mean, I look at Leverkusen uh, sort of through a similar lens to the way I look through the through, look at Leipzig. Uh, you know, they're two key men, obviously, for me. Uh, I know them well from their time at PSG, Christopher Nkunku and Leipzig, Musa Diaby for Leverkusen. Now, Nkunku has been able to make light, uh, you know, of the speculation surrounding him this summer uh, and, and still get down to, to business and perform reasonably well on the pitch. And I'm sure signing a contract extension, knowing that he can leave next summer, helped that. Whereas Moussa Diaby, you know, I think has really, it, it's kind of gone to his head a little bit because he was such a key performer for them 
and whether that was scoring goals or providing assists uh, last season. And then, you know, he's suddenly struggled. I mean, I know, you know, Wirtz as well is, is, is particularly important to, to Leverkusen, but it just feels like, you know, they're not quite clicking and, and you know, perhaps, you know, having no European uh, involvement this season might've been uh, better for them. But uh it really, I mean, I laughed earlier when I saw it on Twitter, but it came up as uh, I, I saw the word crisis jewel thrown out there by a friend of the show, uh, Mr. Ray. And uh, it was, you know, it, it's a good way of putting it because, you know, we kind of need Ian Joy here to to, to, to ramble on about how Bayern are going to be, you know, struggling this season. But sort of what he said so far, we didn't look like it a couple of weeks ago, but it started to come true now. And Nagelsmann, with Thomas Tuchel available, you know, surely is going to start looking nervously over his shoulder now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, one thing I would just say on that, I really agree with you, JJ, that this Leverkusen team will look completely different if when Florian Wirtz comes back, he is what he was before he went, which was the best player of his age in Europe, in the world. This guy is something special and it's to be hoped that when he does recover, it looks like not in time for the World Cup, but when he does, he is the player he was before. Right, let's wrap it up with league earn PSG against Nice. Nigel, I know you'll agree with me here. Do we care at all about anything that PSG do in league earn right now? I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to be Correct. very real. We don't even need to talk about league earn, okay? Let's just let the league finish. PSG win it easily, convincing because... Everything is just working so well for Paris Saint-Germain right now. And with that firepower, I don't think there's any real team in French football that can compete with them unless JJ disagrees with me. But um, I just think it's just, let's just see. Because the reality of it is this, boys. Paris Saint-Germain's priority is the Champions League. They've never won the Champions League. And for them to be respected in world football like the likes of them, Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City, both the same team with the same goal, both came with tremendous financial backing. Both won league titles after it's been a while and dominating the leagues and cups and stuff. But their priority is the Champions League. So that's all we really need to discuss when it comes to, to Paris Saint-Germain. Jonathan, well, Nigel, Nigel's, Nigel's well, obviously not a Lorient fan then. I mean, JJ, I, I would be inclined to agree with uh, Nigel that that P talking about PSG seems a little fruitless at this stage. But I'm quite interested in Nice Obviously, a team that, that have a very expensively assembled squad with a lot of names we'll be very familiar with, not just, you know, Nico Pepe, Ross Barkley, of all people. Um, Joe, Joe Bryan. Mighty Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan. yeah. It, it's a, I mean, it's not hard to see what might have attracted these players to Nice. It is perhaps a little harder to see what attracted Nice to some of these players. Um, a tough start to the league season for, for Nice. And is, is this really, this game, is the story here, Nice, and, and whether they'll hang on to their manager? Yeah, I mean, I think you raise a really interesting point. You know, Nice obviously struggling in the after Christophe Galtier era. You know, they, they always say never go back. And Lucien Favre has done that, had a decent first spell with Nice, is really struggling in the second one. Nice as well, another club that have discussed their managerial vacancy with Maurizio Pochettino, as our friend of the show, Fabrizio Romano, was explaining earlier this week. It doesn't sound like that's a goer. So it will be Favre sort of soldiering on at this moment in time. But there is a lot of talent in that Nice squad. Uh, obviously, they've got, uh, you know, European football to distract them as well. But, you know, I don't think that we should make too many excuses. Like you said, James, you know, this is a lavishly assembled squad, uh, you know, in relative terms, uh, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, Nice can expect, you know, a better return from some very, very experienced players. You know, you've got the likes of Kasper Schmeichel uh, in there in goal, as well as the the guys that you've mentioned and some very, very talented youngsters as well. Toddybo, who got himself sent off inside of 10 seconds a couple of weeks ago, uh, and Kefren Turam as well. So a lot to be excited about with this Nice side. And I guess that, you know, sort of leads us to as to why, you know, we're so underwhelmed by them at this moment in time because they really should be doing better and fingers crossed their form picks up, but I don't think that it will pick up uh, at Parc des Princes. Jonathan, just a quick one before uh, James gets in there. Do you think it's just because of so many players have come in in such a short succession that it takes time for them to kind of get that understanding? Do you think that's played a part? Uh, you know what? I actually think it's uh, a little bit deeper than that. I think it's because nobody really knows what the ultimate goal is with this Nice oh. project. You know, I think they look to the ownership and they see, uh, you know, these claims of being in, uh, in, in, you know, in a race to try and sign Chelsea and then, uh, you know, some... Uh, 
declared interest in Manchester United as well. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, actually, uh, you know, about whether Nice are that much of a priority for Ineos. So as well as the fact that I think that the chemistry should be better, uh, you know, and is something that Fab will just need time to work on if he's given that. Uh, I also just think that there's generally sort of a bit of a misunderstanding, a, a bit of a disconnect, really, uh, you know, between the, the club and the ownership as a whole. Things not looking so nice... And at Nice, no, I'm I'm not gonna. You know, there's a bunch of like cliched sayings that you can you can have with uh, you know French football. You got not very nice in Nice, cutting the mustard when Dijon are in Ligue 1. It's you're you're, t- you're ticking off uh, you know one of the. Well, we haven't James, even talked about breast yet, have we, James? <laughs> all you got to do is let all our fans and followers and people listening just know one thing about when it comes to the country France itself. Don't ask JJ for any wine recommendations at all because he's absolutely useless at that. Go well, on, how, do you, how would you know if you don't get to taste the wine? It's not my fault. It's distributed to where you're living in the States. Oh, before we get they're gonna entirely to, they're, they're going to have to ship it to you soon, aren't they? That's right. All about With all the flooding going on. Over there, mate. <laughs> I believe JJ is going to have to ship it directly to Nigel Rio Coca very soon. But before we get sidetracked into our wine hour coming soon on the Kegelatso feed, let's call it a day there. Jonathan Johnson, Nigel Rio Coca, thank you so much for joining us on our whistle stop tour of European football. And thank you to listeners. Thanks so much for listening to K Golazzo podcast. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We're also available as video, sadly for myself. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Visit youtube.com slash Thank you so much for watching or listening or whatever you've been doing. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.